Now here is, uh, here's what we know about Ob- Obadiah. Nothing. We know nothing about Obadiah. We're not even 100% that Obadiah is his name. Okay? Obadiah means servant of the Lord. And so we're not sure if Obadiah is just a title or his actual name. We know nothing about him. We don't even know if he's an Israelite. We know nothing about this man. And the historical context is pretty difficult as well. Uh, We know that this was during a time when Jerusalem was being ransacked. Uh, And so we know that during the Minor Prophets, there were four times that that happened. And because of some stuff in the book, they've narrowed it down that it's probably one of two instances when Jerusalem was uh, ransacked. And so we need to understand what's going on here. We really need to understand uh, the historical context of Israel and Edom, okay? And that all started in Genesis 25. God had promised great things for Abraham, and he gave him a son named Isaac. And Isaac married Rebekah, and after a long wait, she got pregnant. And something was not not feeling quite right uh, in her womb. There was... I don't know, a stomach, I, you know, I know my wife, when she was pregnant, she went through all kinds of things, but, but something just didn't feel right down there. And it was said this, that, uh, and, and, Jesus, and, and Rebecca asked what was going on, and, and in verse 23 it says, Two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. So they're already fighting. This is not a good situation. You know, brothers fight. We got brothers fighting before they even leave the womb. They're in there fighting. That does not bode well. And two sons came. And one was Esau. And he was the hairy outdoorsman. Uh, he was the, 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 the father's favorite. And then you had Jacob, who was the homebody that was favored by his mom. And Jacob was chosen by God to be the recipient of the promises that he had given Abraham. So Jacob would become what we know as Israel, and Esau would become the Edomites. Okay, so when we see Edom, we're talking about the descendants of Esau. And these two sons that started fighting the womb, they never stopped fighting and the nations that they birthed never stopped fighting. We can bring up several instances uh, of the continued feed, but let's just look at one example of when Israel gets, uh, gets out of the land of Egypt and they're free and they're going to go wander around in the, in the desert for a little while. And in Numbers 20, we have an instance where um, they that Moses sends some messengers ahead to the, the people of Edom to say, basically say, hey, can we just come through your land? We're just, we've experienced all kinds of hardship. Let, let me read uh, what it says here in verse 14 in Numbers 20. You know all the hardships that we have met, how our fathers went down to Egypt and we lived in Egypt a long time. The Egyptians dealt harshly with us and our fathers. And when we cried to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. And there we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your territory. 
Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or vineyard or drink water from a well. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right land or to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. And they said, no, you can't come through. And so then they asked again, they said, look, whatever we drink, whatever we touch, we're going to pay you back handsomely. We're not going to, you're not going to even know we were here. And they, they, the king of Edom said, no, you cannot come through here. I mean, this is a deep feud when it lasts hundreds and hundreds of years. And they're still saying, even when Egypt, when Israel kind of got theirs in Egypt and they went through all that pain, you would think they would say, you know, Israel's had a rough time. Let's just let them pass through. No, they said you can't come through. And hundreds of years and that, that grudge is still holding strong. We know even into the New Testament, after, um, after Edom even ceased, God judged them and they ceased to really even be a nation. We know the Herods uh, in the New Testament were actually descendants of the Edomites. And so we know the Herods that, that ordered the killing of children to, kind of, to try to kill Jesus. And then, then uh, stood, uh, Jesus stood before Herod. Those were people that were descendants of the Edomites. So what I want us to look, through, look first is just look at the sins of Edom, the problems that God had with Edom. And the first thing mentioned is their pride of heart. Look at verse 3 and 4. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, through your nest is, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. The, the Edomites lived in a very secure location. Okay? They lived up in the mountains, in the crevices of the rock. Okay? Then let me pull out some pop culture for you. All right? Indiana Jones and the, and the Last Crusade. Okay? When they go to try to find the, the Holy Grail, the location at the end of the movie of where the grail was securely hidden deep in that crevice, if you remember, they, they just, just narrow, and they went back there, and there was this fortress back there that they went in, just, just got to be the most secure place on the planet. That's a place called Petra, and that was in what used to be Edom. And we see here that they were all about their security, and they thought, nothing can harm us. It's, it's been rumored that uh, because of the narrow pass there uh, around Edom in the main city that uh, a, a, an army of 12 men could defeat the largest army. They, like the, you could bring the largest army you had and bring it there, and, and 12 men could defend the city because of the narrow clefts of the rock that provided security. And so they're in there, and they're saying, man, nothing can touch us. We are secure. Okay, all these other nations down in the valley, and, and man, there's just all kinds of vulnerabilities, not us. But you set yourself up, it's a very dangerous thing, because they're sitting there saying, who will bring us down? And when you set yourself up as an enemy of God and an enemy of the people of God, you better be very careful in saying, who's going to bring me down? Because God co comes along and says, I am. I'll bring you down. 
we see here they're compared to eagles that are uh, um, that are, are mounted up on high. Um, eagles have have some of the strongest eyes in nature. They can see four to eight times better than we can. It's said that they can see a rabbit at all, almost two miles away. So we have a picture here of their their nest is up high, and they can overlook the valley, and they can see anything that's coming. And yet, with that awesome perception, they miss the self-perception that they were apart from God, and so they were never saved. That the only thing that, that, that truly provides security is what we sang about. Mighty fortress is our God. That's the problem. They had a mighty fortress, but it wasn't God. And God said, I'm going to bring you down. I'm going to make you know more. So I ask you this morning, what are your securities? What are those things that now you think, man, because I've got that, I'm safe? Is it that padding you have in your bank account and in your retirement? Is it, is it that neighborhood that you live in that, that just is, seems pretty safe? What is it, what, what are those things that you wrap your life around and say, this is my security? Be very careful unless your primary security is God. Because you may think that you see things clearly, like Edom thought that they saw their safety uh, clearly, that they did not see their vulnerability because they were not with God. We also see that their grudge had caused them to make, make bad friendships. In verse 6, how Esau has been pillaged, his treasure sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Edom, in their grudge against God, had said, you know what? The enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so they had made friends with all the other people that war against the people of God. And they said, y'all are our friends because y'all don't like Israel either. And they thought that, hey, this is going to be good because none of us like Israel. We can all join together and be against Israel. But we see in these verses that those were the very people that God was going to use to bring them down. It was the very people that, that... that Edom had shared their bread with and had been nice to, and in return, those people took them down. They destroyed them. As Bob Dylan said, you got to serve somebody. And in their willingness, in their, in their disregard for the people of God, they turned to the enemies of God, and they ended up serving them. They ended up being the being. Uh, their their way of destruction. When we turn to the things that God opposes, those are oftentimes the very, very things that will eventually bring us down. What do you turn away from when you turn away from God? What are your sinful friends that will eventually bring you down? Think about that. Their grudge caused them to be passive neighbors, and God had a huge problem with this. It says this uh, in verse 11, On the day that you stood aloof 
on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. God is displeased with the Edomites because they stood aloof while his people were ransacked. Sure, it was not them who directly entered Jerusalem and destroyed it, but it says you were like one of them because you just stood aloof and and watched it happen. We know that that Scripture calls us and God's calling on our lives is is to be great neighbors. We see in in Luke 10, God, uh, Jesus teaching about who is our neighbor. What does he tell us about? About the man who was robbed, who was stripped of all his possessions and left to die. And who comes along? Well, the priest who had a grudge against the man. And the Levite who said, I'm not touching that man. I'm not stopping to deal with that. And it was the Samaritan, the man that should most have a grudge, that this was not his people, that this was a people that hated him, And the good Samaritan said, I'm going to take this man, I'm going to take care of his wounds, I'm going to bind him up, I'm going to give money so that he's taken care of. And Jesus said, that's what we're to be like. And Edom wasn't like that. They sat idly by and stood aloof while people ransacked the people of God. And it's not, folks, we can't say that, oh, I wasn't involved when people are hurting, so I wasn't involved in it, so I'm not responsible for it. God says, no, you're to be a good neighbor. And I, I, I identify you with the people who directly did it because you just sat aloof and watched it happen. Let us, let us have the kind of heart that's a good neighbor that actively loves others and actively when we see people hurting, we do something about it. We don't stand aloof and identify with those who are persecuting others. But not only did they stand aloof, it says, man, they gloated. They cheered their destruction, but even worse than that, they participated directly. Verse 13 says, do not... uh, Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. And so as the Israelites ran away from from harm, you you know what the Edomites did? They just waited at the crossroad, and as these people came, they said, uh uh, back you go. And they were actively participating in the ransacking. It says they actually went in and actually in all the chaos they looted and took stuff for themselves. When we hold grudges, when we hate others, when we stand against our fellow man, we need to understand the deep depths of evil that can come out of our hearts, that we can do things. When we shut ourselves off from love that we never thought we could do. They not only stood by aloof, they cheered and gloated as it happened and went in and 
participate. And what a cowardly way to do things is, hey, we're going to let other people conquer the people of God, and we'll just stand on the outskirts and catch people and send people back. Then we see, because of all of these sins, we see God's judgment on Edom. We see the destruction of Edom. Verses 5 through 6, it talks about how everything's going to be taken from you. And he says, hey, you know, when somebody steals, even when the thief comes, usually the thief can't make, make off with everything. Like, they leave some stuff. And he said, even when someone comes in to steal your grapes, usually they're not going to be able to get them all. They're just not efficient enough to take everything from you. And God says, but you know what? I am. In my power, I will leave you without anything. You think you're safe in the clefts of the rock. You're not. I will take everything that you hold dear. In verse 15, he describes uh, the day of the Lord that is coming and when Edom along with other nations will be judged. It says in verse 15, For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and shall be as though they had never been. So what I want us to to focus on for a moment in God's judgment here is the fact that Edom, he says, hey, hey Edom, you you drank on my holy mountain. You had your little drunken celebration at the destruction of my people. Well, guess what? You're going to drink of something. And so it says here that you're going to drink all of what I give you, and it's going to uh, make it as though you never existed. So what is that, what is this drink? This drink is God's wrath. Uh, we, we see time and time again in the Old Testament, even in the New, that God's wrath is represented as a cup that people must drink. Um, in Isaiah 57, 17 is an example, and this is a moment when actually God gave that cup to his own people. It says, wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs, the bowl, the cup of staggering. Okay, so we have this picture of God's wrath um, as, as a cup of God's wrath. And in Revelation, we see it in verse 14, 10. He also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup, of his anger and he will be tormented with fire and suffer in the presence of the holy angel angels in the presence of the lamb so so god promises that edom will drink of god's wrath until it's as if they never existed and we know that that's eventually what happens because edom the, the country as a nation becomes no more but we see a very different occurrence of what happens to Israel here. We see this beautiful restoration of Israel in verses 17 through 21. God gives the land and uh, possessions uh, to his own. The Israelites, after the land is taken from Edom, it's given to 
the Israelites is given to God's people. He, he restores them. He makes the kingdom uh, theirs. And so, to me, it's, uh, it can be compared to another cup that Israel gets to drink, and that's the cup of salvation. Psalm 116, 12 talks about this cup that says, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. So we have, we have two cups, two nations and from two brothers, and one drinks the cup of God's wrath, and the other drinks the cup of God's salvation. But why? Why did one get one cup and one get the other? Was it because, hey, one nation, one nation was just better than the other? Like, Israel was, was just a better nation. They were better people. And so God looked on them and he said, hey, they're, they're all right, so I'm going to take care of them. These Edomites, they're evil, they're bad people, and I'm going to, uh, to give them the cup of my wrath. Is that, is that what's happening here? And I would say the answer is no. For two reasons. First, the testimony of the Old Testament of Israel. Like, even in just the minor prophets that we've been looking at, we've seen weeks where it's not about another nation, it's about Israel, and they're doing horrible, just terrible things. They're, they're really, at times, the minor prophets, in the days of the prophet, there was no difference between the people of God and the people of the surrounding nations. But even clearer, God makes it clearer in Romans 9. Romans 9, God talks about kind of what went on with Jacob and Esau. It says in verse 11, Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. God had established his purposes for Jacob and Esau and their offspring before they had an opportunity to do good or evil. Think about that for a moment, that, that it's not based on these are the good guys and these are the bad guys. It's based on, well, it says here, basically God says it's none of your business. I mean, I look at Jacob and Esau, and I like Esau a lot more. I mean, I'll be honest. I'm an outdoorsman. I like to think of myself as a man's man. And so, like, I like Esau. God, for his eternal purposes, of which he said, it's none of your business why I chose Jacob. But just know this, it wasn't because they were the good guys and they were the bad guys. So what do we do with that? We ask ourselves, am I Jacob? that is going to drink the cup of salvation, or am I an Esau? And I'm, am I Edomite that's going to drink the cup of God's wrath? And this is what I know. This is what I can tell you. 
there's only one way to avoid the cup of God's wrath. There's only one way to, to know, to with confidence say, I've received the cup of salvation. I am one of God's people. And the only way to do that is to flee wholeheartedly to Christ, to, to flee to the one who drank the cup of wrath for you. And that's what it says in, in Luke chapter 22, verse 22, uh, or verse 42, saying when, when Jesus is in the garden praying, he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be, be done. So what is Jesus talking about that cup? He's talking about the wrath of God because he knows that because of, this, of our sin, because of the sin of man, that he was going to have to drink the terrible, horrible cup of God's wrath. And we know that that's exactly what he did. Because after this prayer, after he makes this request, if there's another way that I don't have to drink this cup, let's do that. But not my will be done, but yours. And we come to know that it was the Father's will to crush him. And therefore, after this, Jesus, with confidence, goes to drink that cup so that we can in confidence know that if we trust Christ in faith, that we know that that cup has been drunk, has been drank for us. And that's the only guarantee. Don't hang on God's cup of wrath and God's cup of salvation based upon what you can do or your morality versus someone else's only you must judge it only on the basis of has the cup of God's wrath been drank for me by Christ because the reality is is that we've all fallen short right we've all trusted in other things than Christ for our security We've all at times not been a great neighbor. We haven't always stood up for people that were being hurt. We've oftentimes turned to the enemies of God for our comfort. All of us are in some way Edom, and our only hope to not drink the cup of God's wrath is the grace given and the calling of us to Christ. That if we would trust Christ as our Savior, we could with confidence say the cup of wrath for my destruction is no longer mine, but has been drank in Christ. Can you say that this morning? Can you say with confidence, I have trusted Christ and He has drank the cup for me? I encourage you, if you can't say that with confidence, then you need to do business with God. I will be down here in a moment. I would love to talk to you about that. But do business with God before it's like Edom and it's too late. Don't trust in worldly securities because eventually God will bring you down. God will bring you down. And it's only those who trust in Christ that will remain. Please stand as our musicians come and
I lead us in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, it is not for us to decide why you choose the things that you do and, and why you set people up for some purposes and some for others. God, all we know is that there's safety in Christ and help us, God, to cling to Christ, to turn to him, hold fast to him knowing that the only way to not drink the wrath of your anger for our sin is to turn to the one who drank the cup for us God move in our hearts this morning God if we come here as believers help us to rejoice in our hearts for the amazing salvation that you've given to us God, if there's anyone here who can't confidently say that they know Christ, God, I pray that they would turn to you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray.